Good afternoon, folks. It's morning. Good morning, folks. It's another episode of the Gary and Mark Show, and I'm Gary. And I'm Mark. And we're coming to you not live. But we are alive. And we are glad. And we are alive somewhere new today. We are. We'll keep that a secret for a minute, but, but there's something special that's new this time. Yes. This is the first time ever we have. Uh... First time we've not been in a tap room? That's right. Yes. See? Yep. We, we have coffee this morning. And uh, sparkling water. And it's uh, good sparkling water. It's very and good, good coffee, too. Yes, Absolutely. it is. So uh, we have a few shout-outs, as yep. we always do. And actually, we only have a couple. But we have a brand-new member of our graduating class of the Gary and Mark Podcasting University. And that is, Gary? That would be Charlie Tucker. Charlie Tucker, he's from where? He grew up in Camp Hill, Alabama. Okay. He now lives in Hendersonville. All right. And uh, that's our only shout-out today, but you can have a shout-out by uh, liking us, following us, sending us an email at garyandmarkshow at gbell.com, yeah. or uh, sending us $5. Either one yes. of those will get you a shout-out. Okay, and so other news, though, from the big town of Watershed, well, North Carolina. we have uh, Fred Fezzo. We do, and he also applied to the university. He did, and we're not sure if he's a real person, and we just don't want to get caught up in this college admission scandal stuff. It would be terrible. Our university is only about three months old, and that could close us down. That could close us down. And uh, we don't want to do that. We'd be in the only university in the nation where you can apply and graduate in the same day. How about that? Sometimes the same hour. Yeah. But I'll tell you, Charlie, it took him to the next day, but yes, that's okay. All right, so we are here uh, for a big show today. And uh, Gary, have you ever been on TV? Actually, I have. What did you do? The Nick Clooney School Salute. This is George Clooney's dad had a, a local TV show out of Lexington, Kentucky. And my senior year of high school, we were on the Nick Clooney School Salute Show. That's pretty pretty yeah. good. That's and impressive. I, I imagine a little George was over in the wings somewhere. Probably wanting to be on that show. I Jealous. <laughs> you think? Maybe. Well, I was on TV one time. Yeah? Yep. I, used, I played my banjo on the TV. And my mom said, Mark, get off of that TV before you break it. Oh. <laughs> and there you go. Okay. And so that's the lead up to our guest because we have a real comedian with us today. True. A, real, a real TV star with yes. us today. And an author. And an equestrian. And an equestrian. And yeah. probably all kinds of other stuff. Like yeah. roofing uh, repair? Roofing repair and zookeeper, it looks like. We have, yeah. we have uh, one hound staring at us right now. Probably already finished his I pick. also rent myself out my body for the uh, car lots, the car dealerships, the inflatable. Are you? Oh, yeah, that's, that's because you, I'm 12 feet tall, and so that makes well, a couple of bucks when I have to pay be, the horse fee. Well, you would be good at that. That mm-hmm. is true. Yeah. So our guest today, Gary, is Pam Stone. Okay. Stop. Sit down, please. You're embarrassing yeah, me. Like, I, I excuse me. That group crowd. over there, please sit down. Yeah. Oh, they're going yeah. to the bathroom. I'm so sorry. I thought it was yeah. an ovation, but they, yeah. you know, oh, this is embarrassing. Yeah. It's amazing how you bring that many people with you I to know. the podcast. Well, we, we had to bring them. Yeah. Okay. In that wow. little van out there. And dogs I are out don't looking. have enough coffee for these. <laughs> okay. So we, we actually do have Pam Stone with us. We do. We're not making this up. And she, most people would know who she is. Yes. And I, I know from the TV show, Coach. And from the Hayrack and Landrum. I well, mean, that, that's where you're going to see me actually, most often. And I have seen you there. You wouldn't have known me because I'm a no person, but Get you out. stick out because one, you're six feet something, and yeah. two, you're just famous around these parts. Oh, gee whiz. Yeah. And uh, so she moved into this area. We won't tell you where, but it's a town about the size of Watershed. But, uh, just about that size. Yeah, probably a little bit bigger. Yeah. But Watershed has a university, and there's not one in this town. No, I don't. I don't know if there could be a podcasting university here. That would upset uh, me. They couldn't they support tried. it. No, we always referred to it as the funny farm. Well, and that you could, that's a good point. You mm-hmm. actually give diplomas. We can help set you up in the diploma um, department. All you know, about it. What about if we had a volleyball team? I think she would 
Yeah, we, 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 this university was I just going to... one end of the net. Yep, we were just right. going to go academics. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm, our specialty. Mm-hmm. But then we ended up realizing that we could play Clemson with six people and lose 150 to zero and still get money. Yeah, So we got okay. to thinking. So now we're adding some sports bit by bit. So now you're learning to write grants. That's... Ooh. No, we haven't gotten that far yet. No. Oh, no, we haven't... Mainly, we focused on specifics as a school like pencils with their name on them and koozies and maybe visors yeah and the diplomas those were really important yeah. things it didn't matter about yeah. the I see. course of study gotcha bookstore swag so i guess if, if people don't know what coach was because it, it was an abc show for seven seasons nine seasons nine seasons mm-hmm. you were on for seven which seven. is impressive and i've yeah. watched that all the time so i don't remember seven Thank or nine you. but yeah. uh, is there in reruns anywhere that's uh oh gosh yeah um and of course we are at the Funny Farm. We're at the far, Funny <laughs> Farm in the Unabomber Shack. And that is not the, that is not Bonnie and Rosie. That's the reincarnation. That's Poppy and Posey. So they're just okay. going to be talking. They're just yelling out crap, you know, every now and then. We'll just have to deal with it. Uh, the show was on from 90 to uh, 98. And, and Pam State played Coach Judy Watkins, mm-hmm. the female basketball coach. Yeah. And always at war with Craig T. Nelson, who yep. was the men's football coach. Right. Jerry, Jerry Van Dyke was... He was the assistant coach. What was he? Yeah, he he and uh, Billy Fagerbacki, uh, Luther and Dopper were both the assistant, <laughs> the assistant coaches. And yeah. so you were saying, February was Shelly Fagerbacki, who I remembered having a crush, you know, as a kid from the Donna Reed show. Oh gosh, yeah, she's gorgeous. Yeah. She's still gorgeous. Well, I did a little research because I didn't, you know, I wondered why didn't I, why didn't I see this show? And it's because we. We had two small children then in TV mm, time. That's right. So I kind of I missed that, but I looked and saw that at least twelve episodes were directed by Tony Dow. Yeah, who I remember, of course, as Wally. Yeah, exactly. leave it to Beaver. Leave it to Beaver. Yeah, always yeah. Counts. super guy. It, well, that's what I wondered. Is he a super guy? Yeah, he he is. He's very. He's uh, at least working with him. I found him to be yeah. uh, uh, quiet, uh, approachable, very friendly. Um, I, I worked mostly with uh, the director Alan Rafkin, who directed everything out there, and he was yeah. also a co-creator of. Um, uh, what was the show with Bonnie Franklin? Uh, in Indianapolis with Bar- uh, Valerie Bertinelli. And, one Day at a Time. Uh, one Day at a Time. Yeah. He co-created that. And yeah. he also directed several episodes of the Andy Griffith Show. Oh. So he's he's passed. He's long gone now. But um, what was great was hearing those backstories oh, on bet. the Griffith set. Oh, so I'll that bet. Was, yeah, it was pretty special stuff. So uh, speaking of backstories, then, so how did you end up here? Well, I'm originally from Georgia, and so I was in California for 15 years working, and I knew that, uh, you know, when you're a um, a co-star on a show, you're not the star, so you're not making the millions of that, you know, that kind of crazy money. So when I was looking for a farm, a place to live, I was like, well, it ain't going to happen in California, because it was like, you know, you'd see real estate for, you know, it'd be advertised as ranch, ranchette, acre and a half, Burbank, you know, a million dollars. I thought this is just ridiculous. This is ridiculous. And the air quality and, you know, the four oh, seasons yeah. of fire and mudslides and earthquakes and mass shootings. Yeah, why and would so, anyone want to live there? Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, there's parts of California that I miss a lot, you know, and it is a beautiful state. It's just it was Southern California that the Los Angeles area, not too attractive. You know, San Diego's fantastic and La Jolla and that area. And then, of course, Central and Northern and we California do have listeners for California, so we don't want to be too offensive. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, in fact, if I'd had the cash, I probably would have purchased something around Petaluma or something like that. But I was, I'm was i from Georgia originally. And so coming back to the South was a natural move for me. And I wanted four seasons. And the Carolinas are absolutely beautiful. That's why everybody flocks here. So. And the language difference between Georgia and South Carolina, not too different there. it's not too different and i don't have that much of an accent because my parents are european or were european and uh unless i start drinking and then it just kind of my arms <laughs> get a little bit harder yeah get a little bit more drop you know. the g's yeah mullet and... starts growing out mm, <laughs> little middle sling blade slinks in there yeah. but what i do I love find, that movie I, it's one of my favorite movies too that jim that, bob what's his name jim boy what's the billy name? uh no, billy bob yeah no uh what the hell <laughs> no, everyone's uh everyone's, billy bob billy bob thornton, thornton. there we go all right but it was, uh, and I've always noticed with dialects too, it's so funny because um, 
when I was leaving California, my California girlfriends were saying, I can't believe you're moving to South Carolina. They talk like so stupid. <laughs> oh, really? And I said, no, no, we really don't. And in fact, what I do notice about Southern women's dialects is how they change as they age. Because really, when they're teenagers and, you know, going to Clemson and everything, you know, it's like their voices are kind of valley girl and everything sounds, you know, their voices go up at the end. Yeah. Which is really interesting because I was just in England where everyone's voices go down in the end. So if you're talking to a Southern girl, she'll say, Pam, if you want some tea, it's in the other room. It's in that blue carafe. If you want it, if you want it sweet, it's in the fridge. And in England, it was like, Pam, if you want a cup of tea, it's on the table in the kitchen and there's milk in the fridge. And I always thought I'd love to get those two together. What would it sound like? I think it would sound something like this. I think it'd be like, why do you ask every, why is it everything you say sounds like a question? It really sounds rather stupid. I do not say everything like a question. I don't. And you know, that reminds me actually of Robert Klein, the great comedian uh, said the, the America, <laughs> Southerners do speak like it's a question, which is why the South lost the civil war you realize that because once they were on the battlefield and someone said charge (laughs) so it just didn't didn't really go too well so but we do we go from that kind of valley girl speak and then when these girls that talk like that oh my gosh realize i can't get a career in broadcast journalism because they talk like that they become very designing women they can get very sophisticated and then when we're older we just sound like livestock (laughs) <laughs> and you know, we'd, we'd, <laughs> you say to, you know, I had a neighbor that was in her 80s and I used to call her all the time just to hear her talk. And I'd say, Hey, Myrtle, I'm going to the bylaw. Do you need anything? You need any bread or milk? No, I'm fine. Bye. <laughs> and I'm like, Are you sure? Because it's no effort. I can get you whatever you need. No, I'm fine. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Nanny so, goats. Well, turn into nanny goats. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah. So, I mean, you moved here, and you're a horse person. Yeah, so was that part of it? A big part of it? You, oh did yeah, you know yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a horse area. Oh gosh, yeah. I used to every time I would tour because I toured for like over 20 years as a comedian. I, I tended to pick up real estate brochures wherever I was in different states to say, "Well, what's it like here?" And and uh, before I bought this place. Uh, I nearly bought a place in a little town in Kentucky, where you're from, uh, in the area. And then I also nearly bought an Ocala. Now, we're talking about in the early 90s when everything was very cheap, uh-huh. you know. So, it was um, it was almost like giveaway, the prices. So, um, this, the Carolinas, I, I knew the Greenville area really well because I'd performed here a lot. And then I hooked up with a real estate agent that drove me around and took me to hunt country. And I was like, how much is it here? And I was like, well, crap, that's really expensive. And she said, well, we'll take you to the new hunt country, you know, (laughs) hunt country adjacent, which is much cheaper over the line where the roads suck because South Carolina roads, you know, I mean, when you're a woman, you have to wear a cup. That's a problem, you know. (laughs) So um, she brought me to this place, which um, was... uh, Basically, we rebuilt this house. As you can see, I live in an IHOP. It doesn't matter what you do with an A-frame. It doesn't matter how you try to decorate it. You still live in a pancake house. And it was basically uh, a drug dealer lived here prior to this. Um, it, it had uh, that fake brown paneling and a uh, subfloor with a brown shag carpet on it. Uh, it, it was it was basically a little crack house on the prairie. You're and, describing my house right now. So yeah, yeah. Oh, really? I'm terribly sorry for that. Okay. It might be time to get a little bit of an upgrade on there. But upstairs is a master bedroom, and there's a deck that goes out that overlooks the woods, and there was a hot tub up there. And so the place evidently was on the market for a long time, and uh, because there was a good amount of acreage um, with it. I got it because I thought this is great. It's private, you know, tons of privacy where we are, lots of established pasture. I had to fence it, had to build a barn, all this stuff. But right after I bought it, uh, Don at the Hayrack, who was still working for the police department, came down the uh, driveway and said, oh, you're the one who bought this place. And I was like, yeah. And he said, you know about the murder? Dun, dun, dun. And I was like, what, 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 what murder? And he said, well, they weren't able to really prove if it was a murder, but, you know, it was a, a guy that, uh, Ricky, because every Sunder always has a man, last name begins with a vowel. Yeah, I, I don't care how old you are. You know, you can meet somebody. Have you met my brother, Donnie? And Donnie's 90. You know, they never comes Donald, it's Donnie. So he says, no, Ricky was in the hot tub and, and uh, he was in there and, and went under the water and uh, nobody reported him missing for five days. Now, and you 
Well, just the hot tub was still there. The hot tub was still there. But Ricky <laughs> wasn't in the hot tub. Ricky you know. was in the hot tub when it happened, and the hot tub was on for five days. And oh. I said, and I said, so what was that like? And he said, you ever boiled a chicken? <laughs> so you see, kind of needed, we needed nets to get. So we actually, before I knew his name was Ricky, we used to call him Paul and I used to refer to uh, the ghost, because we thought we had ghosts for a while, as stew, because we thought that was appropriate. <laughs> it was a bit of a boiling bag. Yeah. Uh, death. But no, we had to pay to have the hot tub removed it was huge it seated like six people and i think those things are petri dishes anyway so yes so anyway he had uh, and then there was a legend that uh that ricky had buried something like 30 or fifty thousand dollars on the property and so i had my uh, you know i had my metal detector have you ever had any other people out here sneaking around with metal detectors no and i think ricky ricky wasn't real bright from what i understand and and he was he would like lend people his truck and his friends would call him this was all on record according to people that knew him they were like ricky you missing anything no why and they said well we opened the toolbox in the back of the truck and there's like a hundred thousand dollars in cash back here oh you know i was wondering where i put that (laughs) so um yeah boy yeah, so I did look with a metal detector because evidently it was buried where the old barn was. But I'm thinking Ricky probably didn't think to bury it in like anything metal. Probably Which stuck it in a hefty bag. It's reminding me of secondhand lions now. Yeah. To yeah. see that moving. It no. no. Okay, well, anyhow, two rich uncles had m- money hidden away, but they were legal. So, uh, ah. yeah. Michael Caine. That's I love Robert Michael. Duvall. Together. Yeah. Uh, great. And it's. Bliss. It's based on who's the cartoonist. It's not Burt Breathed, is it? But it's it's a guy who used to do a syndicated cartoon column who who wrote it. It's a sweet story. That mm, that's be, a good movie. Good movie. But, but, you know, I want to get back. Now, you've been here, what, about 15, 20 years? 20 years. Now. Okay. So, having read that you left Marietta or left Kennesaw, Mm-hmm. College. I was I was actually asked to leave Kennesaw College. Let's just uh, be honest here. I mean, we could hear that one. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. no, I just had suck grades. I, I hated being there. Oh, oh, oh. and so I know boom, the feeling. Yeah. Then yeah. off you went to California. Yeah, well, I was putting myself through college, and so I was waitressing at the Punchline in Sandy Springs, the comedy club there. So is that where this? Yeah, that's where I started. Started stand up. Let's and, stand up. Let's back up one minute. Though. Yeah, were you the? class clown were you like no, funny you, as a six-year-old or eight-year-old no i was just so tall and skinny i was really emotionally crippled because i was really picked on a lot so i, I was pretty quiet in school and i was you know if i said anything you know you, the, the worst noise you can hear is from a, a beautiful popular girl going <sighs> so i just never said anything but um once I started like waiting tables there, you know, I, I felt freer to like, I, I always <coughs> love making people laugh. The dogs are the worst hecklers at all. Come here. Um, but uh, <laughs> the other waitresses said, you know, you need to get up on stage. You should do open mic night. And the punchline was um, the premier country in the Southeast. I mean, you had Carolines in New York and the improv in New York and out on the West Coast. And when the Atlanta punchline opened i mean it was massive as far as hugely successful packed every night and we got the cream of the crop in that club i mean jay leno would come through Mm. i mean name it and they came through that club the the top seinfeld twice a year and so i'd be sitting in the back of the room after i'd taken everybody their drinks watching the show thinking this just can't be that hard and i knew what they were making because you know when we'd go upstairs to the office to count out our money and our you know our invoices and our tips at the end of the night you know, we used to hang with the manager and go drinking. And uh, I knew exactly what these people were being paid. And I thought, screw college. This is this. <laughs> Why the hell? Because I was studying journalism. Yeah. Actually, English at Kennesaw at the time, because I would have had to have gone uh, downtown to uh, Georgia State to finish a journalism degree. And I thought, this is like so much easier. Because all I ever wanted was a job that, w- that I could ride my horses during the day. That was, that was it. And I thought, if I do this, and, and here's where my thinking was. This is how naive I was. If I get like 20 minutes of material together, I could be an opening act. Because back then in the 80s, you know, they were making like 300 bucks a week. And I thought, okay, I could make, you know, an extra 600 bucks a month, which would be great. And could supplement my, because I was teaching writing then. And, I, and that's yeah. that's where my brain was. It, it wasn't going to sitcoms or anything like that. Right. Um, but I had a knack for it, and I was headlining within three years, which is pretty rare. And um, and I was in my fourth year, and I had moved to California at that point because I uh, met a comic 
of course, and uh, fell in love and was out there. And two producers of Coach happened to be in the audience one night when I was uh, on stage and came up to me afterwards and said, um, we'd love to talk to you because we're writing a pilot sitcom about a Southern woman that goes to uh, Washington, D.C., wins a Senate seat. And we think it could be pretty funny. Would you be interested? Well, of course. And they said, you know, we're just, we just have to wind up the show that we're writing right now, which is a mid-season replacement. And as soon as we're done with that, uh, we can start on the pilot. And my manager and I said, well, what, what is that show? And they said, uh, it's called Coach. And I said, oh, I haven't heard of that. And he said, yeah, you and the rest of the country. He said, this, it'll, it'll be done soon. It's like, you know, number 70 in the race. It just gets stuck in there when another show gets canceled. So uh, I didn't hear anything from them. And then six months later, my manager gets a call. And they said, well, believe it or not, ABC just freaking loves Coach. And they, and they believe in it. And they've ordered a run for it for you know 21 episodes which never happens today i mean if you're if you if you sell a pilot you might get one to two an order for one to two you know you just oh yeah i mean they just don't put the money into it unless they know it's going to be a hit so the fact that they had this order for this many episodes was incredible and they said we've written a part that we think pam should come in and read for and when i went and read for the part it was so obviously written for me but they're not going to tell you that, you know, because they're going to negotiate bucks. And they're not, once they invite you to have the part, then you ask for a lot more money than if you just audition you and a, every other six foot tall chick in Hollywood. So, um, so got the part and it was going to be just a guest part, just a one-time guest part. And then it turned into, you know, a regular gig for years, which was, you nice. know, nice, you know, yay me. So it was, uh, yeah, that was, that's how it happened. Wow. So, just again, I like to go back in time. Your first stand-up professional gig. What was that like when you first went on stage? And this was you. So my first, uh, my <laughs> first, I would say the first time that I went up on stage was open mic night, and uh, I killed. I absolutely killed. And I just did like five minutes of being tall and skinny jokes. So, um, and I always said, had I bombed, I don't think I would have had the guts to do it again. And, and because I knew the club so well, it wasn't... Was it that club? Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. It was that club because I, I felt at home there. Yeah. And, and yet still, I was nervous all day. I couldn't eat anything. Like, oh, my God. Um, but it was packed. The audience was incredible. Um, and I remember driving home that night. I remember driving home that night saying, I'm going to be a comic. That's, there's, this wow. is just stupid to do anything else. Why would anybody do anything else when they could do this for a living? So... Um, my first professional gig then was at the punchline opening up for Paul Reiser. So I did that for a week. My second professional gig was touring with Jay Leno for three weeks. So wow. I started with the best of the best wow. of the best of the best. So how long is a, a, a warm up? Is like 15 20 minutes, minutes, 20 minutes? Yeah, 15 to 20. And then you, you know, you MC the rest of uh, the show. And Jay would watch my act every night and then he would like give me feedback. And it was, it was great. You know, it was I know you still do some stand up yep. a lot, actually. And yep. uh, we ought to. Give well, actually, he's sitting down here. She's that's, been that's true. You could do either one. So when yeah. you get to be our age, you don't don't feel bad about sitting. I'm not that stool. far behind you. <laughs> well, I guess that's true. But uh. yeah. <laughs> so uh, who were your kind of he heroes uh, for, for in comedy? The business? Yeah. Uh, well, Jay, the Jay Leno that I grew up with when he was doing stand-up before he got the tonight show when he was still a little bit darker when he was a little bit more dangerous uh you know when he'd done when i worked with him he'd done like 25 letterman's and he had a huge following mm -hmm. uh and i just thought he was brilliant um and there was a comedian in in um canada who's since passed michael mcdonald was one of the most dangerous comics i've ever seen uh bill hicks was another when one you say who's dangerous gone. in what just material that you're like whoa oh shit <laughs> i can't yeah. believe he's going there you know like some really dark stuff not vulgar but just some like really unsettling uncomfortable stuff uh it, it's just a place that you watch people's brains and, and mike in particular he number one he looked like eddie uh eddie um little cousin eddie on the adams family oh yeah yeah you know he had the widow's peak severe oh. <laughs> widow's peak and he was manic on stage he was absolutely manic but some of the material he did was absolutely brilliant and not many people know who he is he was right. huge in canada yeah. had television specials sitcoms uh not a lot of people knew him but uh uh sam kennison in the early days was excellent um so many but i mean you know i, I don't know who anybody is now because i don't keep up yeah. with, with it but and of course carlin and of course prior those you are know. my you know me just on the yeah. other end those yeah. are two of my favorites yeah carlin was probably uh the most prolific comedian out there just writing 
That's all he did. I mean, it, it, uh, it defined him. It's what it did. It's what he wanted to do. So do you sit down in your computer and write no, jokes? You no. just have things in your head they and just stories come out. Come yeah, out. I mean, it just comes, uh, it, it's, it's like, uh, it's generally a visual, like the car dealership thing. <laughs> you know, and then I act that out on stage because I'm so tall and so skinny and I'm like, you know, I'm doubling. And as soon as I see that, I'm like, that's going to work. That's going to be funny. And actually, do it, when I did my radio show uh, for 10 years, um, I would say my comedy chops were the fastest then because I've always done improv. Yeah. But, but man, when you have to do two hours of material, because I did entertainment talk. And that show was uh, two hours long? It was two hours from 10 to 12. And she was doing this live in the live, Unabomber yeah, Shack. Yeah, in the Unabomber Shack, a- Monday through Friday. And, uh, and it was, uh, it, it, the show was incredibly funny. I mean, we, we won quite a few awards, uh, for that. And I had a, a crew that was excellent that was surrounded me, uh, Arrow Collins and Anthony Michaels. Um, and well, but the crew was in Charlotte. They were, they were in Charlotte. So sitting in that shack by yourself. By myself with Pip. I had my, hours. my sidekick Pip who would refuse to speak on, and she would talk with bells. She had her yes, no, or, or bell, no. And, and, and she had this great illustrious background. She had been in real life. She had been a model, you know, she'd been discovered at age 17 by 17 magazine. Perfect. Um, she used to date Al Pacino. She went out with OJ a couple of times and she, you know, studio 54. So she had this incredible backstory that we used to talk about all the time, but she would not contribute to the conversation and she refused to be photographed for, you know, when we were doing publicity shots or personal appearances. So every, it made this wonderful, you know, persona of who is this? Why would you be on radio if you're not going to talk, you know, for that? So we just had a really great core group and I had no rules on it. I was like, when I talked to the guys, um, when I was introduced to them as potential producers for my show on that side, um, I, I said, "There, you just better sink or swim. That's all I'm going to tell you. We're not going to edit anything. If you come up with something funny, do it. Do it in the moment. Don't worry about being funnier than me. Go for it. And they, So they're talking as well on the other end. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, it was like us right okay. now. And, but, and, but you only see yourself. You're, you don't yeah, and I tell you what, when I went to Charlotte on the few times when I had to go in to do a uh, come to corporate meetings, that kind of crap. Um, I did the show then in their studio where we could see each other as we're seeing each other now. And it drove me crazy because I was used to only listening and never seeing them. So when you only, you know, when you don't see each other, you're really focusing on what you hear. And we were in, in definitely, I would go out of my way to make them laugh. So uh, it was a whole different dynamic being in the room with them. Can you find this show somewhere at archive? I'd love to hear one. You can go actually on YouTube. Several uh, clips are archived on YouTube. Just just uh, do a search for the Pam Stone show. We did that. some. We we had a Halloween show that we did that we actually got this guy that was a pharmacist. He had ghosts in his house, and he and his son had uh, recorded a conversation on their paranormal equipment that was just riveting. I mean, just, and some very, very funny stuff as well, so. So did you believe the ghost person, though? Absolutely. When you listen to it, it I guarantee you, you will have shivers. Because I, there's a guy who lives in Campobello who does ghost tours, but up in southwest Virginia. Really? Yeah, you should meet him, but I took kids on this trip, and we signed up for this ghost tour, and I'm going to tell you, some of the kids may have believed it, but there were some doubters. Yeah, well, I'm sure. I mean, he would, I, he would yeah. say, do you feel the chill coming through? No, no. if you have to ask that, it's like, it ain't happening. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> like I have friends that have done a ghost tour in Edinburgh, Scotland. And you know, that whole, it, how it's built on top of ancient tenements down below it. And that's an ancient city. And people say that there's people that come out of that with PTS that are so scared when they come out of that, that they actually feel and can feel breath on their neck and icy cold and people shoving behind them. I'm like, well, I don't want to do that. But I'm one of those people that's dying, who, who says I'm dying to see a spacecraft. I'm dying to see that until it's nighttime and Paul's out of town. Then I'm, I'm scared like crap and I'm you know sitting on the sofa holding dogs and a baseball bat. But I'm one of those people that claims that I want to see a UFO just not by myself and with the lights on and it being daytime. That oh, would be cool. One. I'm sure something is out there besides us. Yeah. What do you think, Gary? Somewhere. Yeah. There something. has to be, it's you know, be. intelligent life. It can't be us. <laughs> it can't be us. We're like the special needs planet, right? Yeah, I mean, we need, sweet you know. Boy. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be us. The special need. Yes, we are. 
Uh, so what did your parents think of you when you first told them you were going to be a comedian? They didn't have much say in it because I was putting myself through school. So I didn't have to come home and have my dad. My, were they in, in Europe at the time? Or they my dad had gone back. They'd split up. So okay. when I was 15, my dad had gone. And uh, Now, where, where did they grow up? Your mom was England, from England? And my dad was German. Oh. But, but he had come over to England right before the Second World War started out because his dad was that a brewmeister. And he said, you need to get the move. hell out of here because you're going to end up having a fight so he came over as a bloody hun and um was put in a a, a camp with other suspected peoples like yeah. what we did to the sure. japanese in this yeah. country so he was in the camp uh, during the war and then met my mom after that and her family was so happy that she was dating a bloody hun and a bloody divorced hun as you can imagine in the 40s not real popular right. after you've been in the blitz for seven years and yeah. everything everything around you in your city has been decimated by the bloody huns yeah. so um anyway that uh yeah i there was uh, my mom was a professional artist and uh, wow. actually, most of the work in, wow. in the house is, is uh, uh, her work, except for some older pieces. Um, so she was all about it. She was like, oh, that's nice. And she, can you make a living at that? And I said, evidently, yeah, you really can, because there's a lot of comic, comedy clubs. In the 80s, every small town had a comedy club. There was so much work, you were turning down work left and right. Does Campobello have one? Campobello did not have one. But you know what was funny? Campobello had a, had a uh, strip club. Do you remember that? Was called Moon Shadows. Uh, uh, no, we I don't know. Yeah, no idea. Yeah, I heard the rumor no. about that. No, I, I, but, I saw someone like you there one night. But, but wasn't oh, that that place on one seventy six that was Broncos and now it's painted yeah, white? Yeah. So it was that, and I oh. and I just thought it was so sad. I thought, how far down on the food chain do you have to be as a stripper to take a gig dance shift? A lunch shift, Campabella stripper has probably got cauliflower boobs. That's all yeah. I'm thinking uh, at that I, point. Probably I'm probably a, needs a little bit of support. I'd like to sit out front to see who goes in and out of that place. You know, oh, yeah. Now that takes me back living year my first winter living year round at the camp. Uh 73, 74. You're not telling me they had a strip club at camp. They had a massage parlor. Where? Oh, mercy. We're kind of where near where the rainbow laundry. Oh yeah, I know that convenient. <laughs> but <laughs> but I laundry takes an hour. I, I did want right. to get the founder of the camp. I wanted to get his red jeep, and then the his son, who was the director of the camp, his blue jeep, and then Frank Shell's green jeep. I wanted to get all three parked in front of the massage <laughs> parlor, and just have that picture. I I never that. I never actually went in. Didn't have the phones to take the picture though, no, like we do now. And couldn't have yeah. photoshopped, but I've I didn't go in there. Yeah, I do. Right. I do remember. So, sure. I know he's on tape, but I, my, yeah. But yeah. my late friend Randy Side said he did go ask how much, and it was like the massage on oh, the table. Don't get too detailed now. Okay. <laughs> was there was an upcharge if you wanted the massage on the water bed? That's oh, okay. I see. And that's okay. And that's all I that's remember. That was enough. But I, that's moving on. Moving yeah. on from the so so in the eighties, all these little comedy clubs. Yeah. And and then what caused that to change? Saturation. Okay. Like anything. And like, things weren't funny anymore? Yeah, or? it was too. Uh, it, when I started doing stand up, uh, I was one of probably one of five female headliners in the country. And, and, uh, and there were so few. All right, here's the difference. When I would fly to my gigs, and I'd be uh, generally lucky enough to sit up front. And I'd be sitting next to someone that generally will ask you what you're doing, especially when everybody else is wearing a you know suit and tie, and I'd be in sweats because I'm going to get in, check into the hotel, and do two shows that night. I'm going to be really relaxed on the plane. I'd be like, oh, I'm a comedian. They're like, really? Wow. You know, you make it. Wow. I've never met a comedian before. And fast <laughs> I've forward. I've never met one before. I've never met one. Fast forward a few years, be on a plane, and somebody say next to you, what do you do? I'm a comic. Yeah, you know, my, my wife's uh, brother does that. That that's the difference. We there was still when but I they started. They probably weren't making money at it. Well, I don't know. I mean, that the the difference was when I started out. There was maybe a hundred uh, really good comics in the country. Probably maybe less than that. Let's let's take that down to about half of that, about fifty. And uh, and then there became thousands of comics out there. Still, only fifty really good comics. So I think what happened. Uh, we also didn't have the competition of YouTube or the internet. Right. Um, and every TV show, if you remember, through the nineties, every show was a comedy. Besides, like. Um, 
I mean, I used to do comic strip live all the time. And I did the, you know, live from the improv. There were all these comedy shows, cable specials, HBO, young comedians, uh, Showtime comedy club, all stars. There was so much work over there. And I think America just got sick of comedy and, and went back to music, you know, that sort of thing. You can still, the, the standup that I do today is mostly corporate, private corporate. I don't do clubs anymore like that. I do theaters, you know, well, and try look, on locally. Yeah. We've got that plug, coming up. You yeah. got that coming up and that's yeah. a fundraiser. I do that every year, the Sunday before uh, Thanksgiving, so to benefit uh, Mobile Meals, because I'm, I'm, uh, that's my pet charity, and uh, it's going to uh, benefit the Spartanburg chapter of Mobile Meals, because we have to raise 175 grand a month to feed wow. people on our rosters, and um, so I always headline that, and then this year I thought, you know what, I've got a couple of friends that are awesome, um, that are just tremendously good comedians. Uh, Carol Hughes is one of them, and her her stand-up has been going viral, actually, on Facebook. She goes by the name of Mrs. Hughes, and she's a housewife, and she's been in the business forever, and very, very funny. So I thought, you know what, this year I'm just going to host. I'm going to go out there and warm up the crowd and host and get everybody going and then bring these guys out. And, you know, they're, they're so funny. And I just, because we're such a small town, I don't want to get saturated. You know, I've done a lot of concerts here. And, and yes, people do come in from Hendersonville or Asheville yeah. or Spartanburg to see me. But um, I just want to put as many butts in the seats as possible. And I want people, when they hear that I'm going to be doing a concert, that just, it's like, just trust me. You're going to get your money's worth and, and you're going to, it's going to be a great, great night because if it's not me, I'm going to bring people in that are great. And so I can just say that is November 24th. Yes. Tryon Fine Arts Center yes. in Tryon, North Carolina. You betcha. And this show episode will not post It'd be a few days before that. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, there may, there may be tickets left. Was yeah, there, is there a, a second uh, showing oh, if they sell out? No, know? we've we've um, we've sold out before, and then we get pretty full. So I don't think we can do uh, you know in this area a, a second um, a second show. But not going Tryon's, down to Broncos and just uh, not going to. Well, that Broncos for, is closed. Oh, but I mean, or, it for one night. You well, oh, okay, I could do that, yeah. and then and then bring strippers on to back me up for you know part of my comedy. <laughs> bring act. them back. Oh, Gary would be there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you know. So the, we'll we'll just um, we're gonna do that, and I think that'll be great. And, and Tryon's a really slow town in terms of ticket sales. Like you'll have like <laughs> you'll you'll be a month out, and there's like 20 tickets have sold, and then the week of the show, it's like well, we sold 150 tickets. So they're like, whoa, you know. So it's That's uh, because a lot of retired and trying to wait and see what the weather is going to be that well and it's night. just so humid <laughs> Everything it won't slow. be humid folks in november so uh it's a nice town though yeah so. oh, it's the best and uh we ha we do have listeners from around the world believe it or not in fact gary just i haven't told gary this but we get this report from itunes mm -hmm. we and this is true he's laughing over here. i can show you i have it with me we were number 17 for comedy in vietnam I'm, well, I'm not holy I'm, moly I'm, so that's not, where i need to go line up a tour no so i'm telling you that tells you how we, things are in vietnam yes you know why here's why i, I worry because we only have you can go on our stats and see there only been two downloads in vietnam oh, so I, oh if we gotcha. dropped two places only had two two downloads that wow so vietnam is not our, our one of my writing students just went to vietnam was on vacation, nice country. so maybe she nice was. Country. She had a great maybe time. Maybe that was the one who listened. She talked how thin everyone was. Really? She said, "You kind of expect it's kind of third world." So, but she right. says all they eat is vegetables well, we're and rice that. and some and some fish. Yeah, yeah we're we'll get a damn McDonald's in there. And most, but she said everyone weighs like five pounds. And I was in the outdoor gear business for thirty-five years. Now a lot of your hiking shoes and oh, yeah. backpacks. Are, are made there, made yeah. in Vietnam. And the the reps would talk about going over and, and you know, don't you want to go? And I'm like, well, you know, my, my age group, I knew some people who went to Vietnam, yeah. but kind of hard but to get. Yeah. We didn't really want to go there, but, yeah, but, yeah. It, but it's in Thailand, they go climbing all these. You know, Thailand in particular is a huge destination um, place for vacations. The beaches are unspoiled as in Vietnam. I mean, you'll yeah. see absolutely golden, beautiful, uh, unspoiled. You know, if it was over here, there'd be condos and crap all over it. You know, it'd look like Myrtle beach, you know, yeah. everything built up, but there is no offense really to our pristine. listeners in Myrtle beach. Yes. Okay, we don't so. want to listen to Read my column Gatlinburg. in Myrtle Beach. My right. Myrtle Beach. My my column does really well in Myrtle Beach, and even the people in Myrtle Beach say, "Yeah, it ain't like it was thirty years ago." So no, you know, it's it's the place to go if you want to party and your kids want to have a good time. It's a you know family, but people in Myrtle Beach know the difference between Myrtle Beach and Nags Head. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, my one of my only two trips across the pond to England to go hiking, coming back, there were all these Brits on the plane going to Myrtle Beach to go yep. play golf. That's right. I knew I Canadians mean, did that, but I didn't know Brits would. Brits Brits go to Orlando or they come to Myrtle Beach because they are the, the winters are appalling. And sometimes uh, in England, you don't even get much of a summer. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. this past summer wasn't too bad, but the summer before was brutal. They had like six weeks in the 90s. Actually, this year, was it this year as well? Like even in Holland, had temperatures triple digits, which they did. never yeah. happened because Paul has uh, business contacts there. And it was it was hard as hell for them but mostly when they have these rainy cold summers and these endless raw cold winters hell yeah they get on a plane and they come over to myrtle beach they just sun because even if you go to spain in january it's going to be rainy you know so you know we don't want to we're not finished yet but i don't know how much time you have i forgot to ask that ahead of time but yes uh so but you you write books because gary just read i just finished girls like me Girls like her. Girls. Almost. Okay, girl. Almost. Girls well, mine, like her age. because <laughs> me, I'm not a girl. <laughs> that's it. And uh, I love the di- the dialogue. It really moves in there. Thank it you. Really, it really, and again, you know, we talked about, we could see this being, uh, we could see this being a, a Hallmark movie. I, I w- I'd love it to be a Hallmark movie. Uh, you know, I wrote, I, I, when you write a column, because I, I write a syndicated column, and so you got to, you got to, I go way back to Jay Leno's uh, advice for me when I was a comic. And he was like, you got to cut the fat. You can't talk about Jay unless you do Jay, by the way. Yeah, can't yeah. do an impression. And he was like, you got to cut the fat in your, in your setups for your punchline. They're way too long, way too long. You got to get to the joke, bam, get out. And he used to say to me, if I don't have a punchline every seven seconds in my act, I wow. got holes in my act. And that was a great thing for me to learn, yeah. like jackhammer, bang, 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 yeah. get there. Um, so when you write a column, You've got to get in, get to the meat of it, and get out, and have a button to get out, what we call the button, you know, if you write comedy or anything. It's got to end on something, whether you're ending uh, writing a poignant piece or a funny piece, and most of my stuff is funny that I write. And so um, I write that column once a week, and I write in a, a column uh, that's in five papers now called Ask Auntie Pam. Oh, yes, my so, wife so loves Ask Auntie Pam. And I read it in the Triumph paper. You read it in the Hendersonville paper. And Thank you. I would say your Auntie Pam column you have a great BS detector. You can call them out. I love writing that because I do channel Auntie Pam. It's not me. I mean, it's like it's it's uh, Auntie Pam is Dear Abby after a couple of cocktails, and she yeah. doesn't give a shit. You yeah. know, she just she's just like, well, you know, you're you know, you're paranoid. Yeah. You're a control freak. You're you know, she doesn't yeah. she doesn't make any effort to be. She does. I mean, at some point, but she generally um, will guide you to have a glass of prosecco maybe a smoked trout appetizer as you have this out with your great. friend it's yeah i mean it's like it's i i love writing that because yeah. i can't believe some of the letters that come in they're they're so funny so um, are, are they real letters you're getting or most you, of them are this is a trade secret and you can't say no well yeah I, I do i absolutely do get letters but i also have people ask me uh-huh. like that i run into and say Dude, i'm like okay well i'll write that i'll find a way to 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 get that down because you know i run into everybody in town so that's very very enjoyable to write so when you write a column when you write two columns a week man you get your chops are sharp you know it's like really quick so when i wrote the novel i wrote that novel in eight weeks and i would have written it in six weeks had i not had the computer crash and lose the first seven chapters so I had to, and I, I spent a week pissing and moaning to Paul, like, I'm not going to write it. I can't ever come. <laughs> and he's like, just shut up and write it again. Maybe it'll be better. No, it can't possibly be better. This stupid computer. And I knew I should have backed it up. I'm <laughs> saying you better back up. You back uh, up now, don't yeah, you? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do back up now. And so I was like, all right, all right. And it was, and it was January and it, the weather was crap and I couldn't ride the horses anyway. And so I thought, oh, I will like this stupid bug like and type it away. And I could not stop writing it. I could not stop. I, I didn't have the discipline, discipline like real writers that will write every morning from mm-hmm. 10 till 1. And then I'd have lunch. And then I'd go back and write. I'm like, I couldn't stop. I just vomited it out. And I, and I, I would be in, I'd be here on this table at 2 a.m. And Paul would come in and it's like, it's 2 a.m. I'm like, I can't stop. And, you know, the tabletop would be littered with coffee mugs and beer bottles and, you know, whatever the wow. hell. And so um, I wrote it, and what you say is that it it feels like a film when you read it. I specifically wanted it to move like crazy, and I knew from writing columns that if I wrote every chapter, 
to be uh, pithy and quick and really pacing well with the dialogue. I wanted each chapter to prompt the next chapter to keep that pacing going yeah. so that if you were sitting up in bed and it was uh, you know midnight that you would be reading and saying, I got to go to sleep, but I got to figure out what happens See? in this next chapter. And, that's, and that was specifically, I wrote it. It's a page turner. Thank you. Although at age 70, lying down in bed last <laughs> night. He's older than me. I got to, I had 10 more pages to go and I, and you know, daylight savings being gone. Oh yeah. Me off. So I finally had to just put it down and finish it. Get up this morning and finish yeah, it. And then it have a, have a good cry at the table. Thank you. I did. <laughs> I'm so glad. It got in touch with my so. feminine side. The, the parts in there where you describe upholstery and furniture, you know, yeah, yeah, me, yeah. I can get like, this is a, you know, I, I couldn't write that stuff. But oh, but it, it was real quick. I mean, I tried to good, keep though. the description really brief. And, uh, and yeah. you keep, I mean, to have all the moving parts with the different characters and I could, I could see each one in my mind's eye. Thank you. They, Thank they you. seem very real. Yeah, I really wanted very, very realistic dialogue, and I wanted to have, uh, you know, there was there there was a character there, Lee, that everybody hates. And oh. the funny thing is, you know, you have we all have friends in our lives that failed to launch. We all have those people that we've known in life. They're like, oh, they're always a pain in the ass. It's yes. like they want advice. They don't take advice. They, you know, this is, she's going to make another stupid decision or he's going to do this and then we're going to hear about it and that's all they're going to talk about. And you want to just pick them up and shake them. Well, I needed that character in there and, and not just to have a woman have a pain in the ass character, but... But because the, it's a family dynamic, the book is a family dynamic with the matriarch, the, the woman who's just about to turn 70, her children and the granddaughter and the generational issues of these people. And I, I wanted, what I found really, really interesting that I wanted to explore um, was that, I don't know if you remember that film Seven Up that was made decades ago that the, the uh, you can probably find this it was a documentary. And the point about it was show me the child of seven and I'll show you the man. And they redid, huh. they interviewed about five children at the age of seven and every seven years until these people were in their thirties, they did a new documentary. That's cool. And you definitely saw, and it was an English production. And so you saw these children at seven that were, you know, from very good families and very well spoken. And they were totally expecting to win a place at Cambridge or Oxford. And they did. And then you saw the, the children from poor families that had no expectation of going on. And one of them ended up being homeless, blah, blah, mm. blah. Anyway, the point was of of the the brother and sister in this book was that they, the sister was still the child that she was as an adult. And the son had his, has his own issues anyway. But I love that dynamic of like when you get together with your siblings and we all get together with siblings, you can be talking depending on, on where you're in the age structure. If you're the baby of the family, the oldest, the middle. I know this has happened to you when you sit, you talk to your siblings about your childhood and you say, oh, well, you know, dad was so great or something. And, and you'll have a sibling say, what are you talking about? He was a drunk. <laughs> he was, a, he was horrible. Well, you know, no, no, he was great to you because he sobered up by the time you came along, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we have these, these, um, you know, we're dealt certain cards in our, in our life. And a lot of times we, we end up growing up to, that child is still there and we see each other when we're with our siblings as we did as children. So if you were considered the baby in the family, you get together with your siblings and you can be 70 and you're still like, Oh, and they was still assigned to you this acknowledgement. Like, well, you can't know what you're talking about because you were a baby and you were always spoiled and the rest of us, it's like, there's not an acknowledgement that you might have changed. Yeah. And, and sometimes we can't get past those childhoods. And, and Lee is one of those people. David, David is pretty fine, although he's got his issues. Yeah, and your descriptions of what's going on in their heads and how they think what they're thinking, it's, that moves really well, too. It doesn't, I thought, that would, that's hard to do without making it, it's not clumsy at all. Thank it, you. It, I mean, that's you really. 
I wonder, did, did they, at some point when you're writing, did you already have the idea of what's going to happen, or did sometimes the the characters just take over and you had to follow? They compl- That's why I couldn't stop writing. It's yeah. like all I knew was Lissy, the matriarch in the family, who's about to turn 70, had this dream that she had put on hold for her whole life, and by God, she was going to go for it. Yeah. You know, she was a breast cancer survivor, took yeah. care of her parents, her kids, had a, had a uh, clinically depressed husband that she was forced to divorce because she was scared what he might do. The kids might come home and fine. And her struggle to raise that family and try to get it going now at 70 and by God, it's her turn. It's her turn and how that affects her grown children. Uh, And, and absolutely, I had no idea how the children were going to go. I knew that I wanted a son that was more sympathetic to what she wanted to do. And the daughter is just an unhappy freaking person because she (laughs) adored her father and still blames the mother for for divorcing dad that maybe if she just loved him a little bit more he wouldn't have been depressed all the time and she can't get out of that she seems very real i think we've all known people who had that yeah uh, those who who was the one in the peanuts comic strip that always had the cloud over? oh Uh, pig pen yeah 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 she kind of has this she has the black cloud of depression over her you know you look at her she's got the stale marriage and the only happiness she knew she peaked as a child the only mm. happiness she knew was she was a bit of a daddy's girl her mm. brother was younger so in the marriage when the marriage was relatively healthy in the early years she found great comfort sitting with dad in this farmhouse that he was an architect that he had restored and it was this on the outside, this very happy home. And then his depression took hold of him where he couldn't get out of bed for days and he was leaving the family emotionally. And so she is stuck in that, you know, here she is a 40-year-old woman. She's got a daughter. She doesn't really get get along with very well. The daughter's on the phone all the time with a screen in front of her. The grandmother can't understand. It's it's all what we're experiencing now. You know, I see, I go to Dimitri's for lunch all the time. And I walk in there, it's the best, best Greek salad there is. I live there. And, and I go in there often and I sit and I observe a lot and I see a lot of grandparents bring their kids in for lunch and dinner. And I see some parents and I see both parents, uh, and children, like trying to talk to the kids or the preteens and the kids are on the phones. And I feel so sorry for these grandparents because the grandparents obviously are wanting to spend some time with the kids. The kids are incapable of speaking. And the only way they can interact with the kids is if they show interest in what the kid is playing on the phone for that. Well, Lissy, my character calls bullshit on that. Yeah. You know, and she, there is that part of her character. And, and when you read that, people our age cheer her like, yeah, you're good for you because I wish I could say that to my grandkid. You know, yeah. put that down. I'm taking you down to lunch. Be Show some common courtesy. And if you don't want to do that, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm leaving. You know, she she loves the grandchild. and but But she comes from her place where she's, you know, that's what she's going to accept. And now it's even sadder. I see parents that ignore their children the entire time. I've seen that as oh, yeah. well on, on the phone. And there's just no face-to-face interaction. Yeah. I, uh, Gary knows I take kids on trips in the summer. Program mm-hmm. I'm winding down. But we, six years ago, said no electronics. Excellent. Made all the difference. Yeah, and parents Excellent. love it. Kids don't like it, but they get used to it. Well, and, and we have studies now that have shown that uh, Apple knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah. They were hacking into that part of the brain that's highly addictive. And they've and I don't know if you saw this on 60 Minutes some time ago, and I think they used Anderson Cooper um, for it, that they said we they knew what they were doing when they created this apparatus, and especially for children whose brains are still forming. They It's, it's like crack for them. Um, and she said, it's what we don't realize as adults, our cortisol level rises all the time if we're not compulsively checking our messages. And she, and she did an experiment where they wired up Anderson Cooper and they sent him a text without him knowing. They, they had gotten a hold of his number. And they said, we're just going to talk. And, and they were just talking. And then he, he heard, bing. And they just continued to talk. And, and um, he was fine. He said, well, I'm not going to answer it and they were like okay and and they just kept a normal conversation like we're having now and they said now we're going to take this wire off your chest and around your arm and your neck and we're going to show you actually we were the ones who sent you that text and this was your blood pressure prior to that ding this was your blood pressure during it so while you had to make a concerted effort not to look at that your body was going through withdrawal 
Why? Because you could not pick that phone up and look at it. Wow. And, and we are doing that to our health. We are. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you know, and that's kids. the thing. Once you get an iPhone, it, you can't stop looking at it. So I, I told Paul, I said, I'm seriously considering getting a flip phone. Well, and I had one until three years ago when I got an iPhone. But uh, Yeah, I mean, use your iPhone when you need your iPhone. It, you know, if you're taking it for a meeting or something like that. But the rest of the time, if you're going to the grocery store, if you have a flat tire or something like that, your flip phone will <laughs> yeah. be just fine. This- if you're going for a hike and you're scared you might fall, take your flip phone, you yeah. know takes us back when when the camp where mark and i worked we used to lease there was a cabin in pisgah forest we leased from the forest service it was cantrell creek and the and the run riding trips out of there the mm-hmm. kids would the who really showed proficiency in riding this was the big reward to go to cantrell creek for five days well if you had any kind of an issue it was eight tenths of a mile walk out yeah. to the road Cross Highway 280, there was a gas station with a payphone. That's right. And there were times I had to get out oh, there yeah. And, yeah. and call the camp. But And we just, you didn't, you didn't wear your telephone. You no. didn't wear your telephone. And I think it was Julian Lennon, John Lennon's son, who posted, it was so funny. It's, he, said, he said, remember when we were all growing up and how we all used to uh, sit around the table and share Polaroid photographs of our dinners. That's right. We didn't. So stop doing it now. You know, it's like you go on social media and everybody's posting, you know, this is what we made last night. This is what we're eating today. It's like, it's, it's, it's this kind of compulsion that we want to share with everybody. Like, oh, isn't this incredible? Look, which is cool on one sense, but we're not in the moment. We're not mm. living in the moment of the experience. Mm. If we feel this compulsion to, why must, why must we share a, a photo of of some lasagna we're about to eat. What 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 is that about? It's like everybody knows what freaking lasagna looks like. I'm sure it's great lasagna. We've all had good lasagna. I, I can I but can mention why? names, but I won't. But, yeah. but, Facebook and but, stuff. But, but we do. You know, I've done it. We've all done it. But yeah. what what is the compulsion that we feel we must share every moment of our life? And well, I you look should at, share these animals. Though. You got some neat animals. Yeah, the here. hounds. Yeah. They were supposed to be Jack Russells when, when we adopted them as puppies. They were uh, I could turned they into, but they're Jack not their hounds. Yeah. Well, we, uh, this has been a great show. You you are a, Thank you. You're a wonderful human, I must say. Just very Get welcoming out. where we first pulled up. and. If I didn't have web feet and a prehensile tail, I would be a great human. Well, and so we, we need to say your books are available on your website, which is Comedian Comedian Pam Stone, and, but also at Amazon and bookstores and stuff. And, and, uh, and My I, copy came from the Hendersonville Library. Oh, excellent. And, and it was well-worn. It is it is all beat to hell. So we need to get them a new one. Do you know that book? Um, and I didn't even know this. I didn't know it until someone brought it to my attention. Was nominated for the Southern Book Prize. Huh. And and you know they take the top three, and it was number four. And that's and those that's cool, are nominated though. by independent booksellers. So Fantastic. I was delighted with that. So do you have another book in the works? You know, I keep saying that, but I just don't know. I I had to hang my liver out to dry after writing that one. So I just don't know if I have the stamina. It takes stamina to be a drunk. I don't know if I have the stamina <laughs> no. to write another one. But I can. I, I absolutely know. know where it would go. I absolutely uh-huh. know where it would I, go. I bet you would, there will Is be it a, Would it involve some of the same people? Well, or? everybody wants me to do oh. a sequel to that. And I know we have to kill Lee. That's the thing. I know that's the thing. I, was well, gonna, I have to kill her in a car with the head of the law firm. There. That's <laughs> oh, run right, him over a cliff. Right, right. That's what. Richard Dick. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. He was fun to write. And we've all known one of him, too. He was the only totally bad person. Yeah. In the, I mean, Lee's got redeeming stuff. But, right. Lee has redeeming but things. But Dick has no redeeming character. But it all comes out of insecurity. Yes, you know, and that was yeah. the thing. I couldn't have somebody be a bad person just for the sake of having. Well, we'll make yeah. this person a bad person, a good person. It was like everybody's uh, everybody's issue came from a place of insecurity, yeah. just like in real life. Well, we are going to wrap this up. Yeah, but we have something to say and do first. Okay, you are a guest on our show. We've had a few now. Yes, that are real, some real, made real up. guests. But uh, can I just say tipping would be appropriate? Oh, well, we got that? something better than a tip. Oh, all right. Okay, no because you heard us mention during the intro about our university. Yes. Gary and Mark Podcasting University. Yes. So as uh, our oh. guest, 
Uh, Gary's going to make this presentation. Da, da. Oh, my word. A BS in podcasting. Oh, my this word. This will look so nice in the Unabomber shack. That's right. And this and is with extra honors. With I've extra never honors. received anything in a plastic right. sleeve did you, before. And you didn't finish at... Kennesaw State, right? No. I did not. There no. you go. Well, You're being oh, yeah. Rabbit Island more. Resort on the back. That is a sticker you could proudly display on Rhode your Island. horse van. Uh, we've heard that comment before. Yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a gated community, and you don't have to go there. You just. You just, I love it. You just show off by having this. I That's love right. you don't it. Ever have, it's a timeshare you don't ever have to share. We have Even a whole better. episode about that, right? Superb. Yeah. I Well, I'm absolutely delighted. I thank you so much. Well, we thank you for being here. And folks, go to comedianpamstone.com for yeah. more info. And she's funny in real life. She is. That's, sitting that's down helpful. Or standing up. So we want to thank our sponsors. We uh, have a couple real You ones. have sponsors. Oh, we Actually, that's we fantastic. Do. Green River Eddie's. Green River Eddie's Tap Room and Grill and Salute oh, Outfitters. Oh, yeah. Heck and, yeah. And we have a new sponsor just, just signed up this past I've been week. to both of those. Yeah. L.J. Myers and Homeward Angels Professional White Dove Releases. If you've ever been around. Oh, yeah, right, right. He's the one that releases the Is dove. he the guy at the corner there on 14? Yes, don't say that. He doesn't want people to know where he lives, but yes, Well, of course him. you can see they're, they're circling his house <laughs> all the damn right. time. That's L.J. So that's he, L.J., he's yeah. How around. does he keep the Cooper's Hawks away? Uh, well, Ooh. sometimes they get picked up, and so. And then there there's Rabbit Island Resort. Uh, she's now a member. Uh-huh. We're a hair better. Uh-huh. And our first better. sponsor, the Big Whiz Pocket Buddy, an, an app, app for your phone. For, for big me. Whiz. So we Who doesn't wanna, need a Big Whiz? Yeah, we're about to have one now. I've yeah. bought Cheese had, Whiz, which <laughs> is a little frightening. So uh, we want to thank everyone for listening to this show. And uh, you can hear us on iTunes. Uh, I I. Uh, Heart Radio, Spotify, all those places. Vietnam? Yeah, that's right. Get me the third person over there. And so uh, go Order to com for all the details. And thanks again to Pam Stone. Please, yeah. Thanks, and Pam. And thank you. I've never been introduced with banjos, so I appreciate that. <laughs> well, that's right. It is South yeah. Carolina. Uh, that's true. I'm so, well uh, aware of that. He's Gary. <laughs> and Oh, you're Mark and I'm, I'm Gary. And we are the Gary and Mark Show. Yes. And we'll see you in the next episode.